Welcome to today's uh, presentation and uh, leadership panel, Corporate Sustainability Leadership from USGBC, North and South Carolina. Uh, if we have not met, I'm Ryan Snow, the Regional Director for Market Transformation and Development at the US Green Building Council, working in our big South regions, which includes the Carolinas. Uh, we're really grateful to have you all join us today for our session. Uh, if you signed up for something else and this is not uh, the session that you're looking for, we still uh, uh, hope that you're in the right room and uh, welcome you to today. Uh, the, today's uh, session is approved for both GBCI and AIA continuing education. So um, I have to share our learning objectives for this, which you can see up on the screen. Uh, but really our, our uh, session today is gonna focus on leadership in the corporate, uh, corporate sectors. Uh, we have a, a, a wide range of different corporate leaders and uh, uh, to, to moderate the session and uh, tie it all together, we have uh, one of our local leaders from the Market Leadership Advisory Board, uh, Beth Whiteyes, uh, who's also uh, at Bank of America, who will be leading the conversation. Uh, others today that we have are Ben Taka from Train Technologies, Colin Walker at Rub Properties, Heath Lindemulder at Newcore Corporation, Lisa Richards at Crescent Communities, and Justin Edwards at Tanger Outlets. So uh, welcome to all of our uh, presenters who you will hear more from uh, throughout the day. We wanna thank all of our members who are uh, joining us today. Of course, uh, your membership uh, makes all of this work happen and, and allows us to uh, convene these types of, of events. Uh, and uh, we are, are so grateful for our members uh, who are really leading uh, sustainability efforts, not just in their buildings, but in uh, communities across, across the globe. Uh, so if you're not a member, we encourage you to join either as an organizational member or an individual member, and happy to talk to you more about that. <clears throat> uh, but you can also go to usgbc.org slash join to find out more. Uh, today's uh, uh, events and all of our activities in the Carolinas could not be uh, uh, possible without the, the support of our annual partners. So we'd like to thank Mosley Architects, who is our regional sponsor, our gold level sponsors, Environamics and Train Technologies, uh, our silver sponsors, Bank of America, Choke Construction, and Duke Energy, and our bronze spon sponsors, Childress Klein, the City of Charlotte, Eco Impact Consulting, Little Diversified Architectural Consulting, National Gypsum, uh, the NC Sustainable Energy Association. Uh, we have NCBPA uh, up there as well, who just merged with them, uh, Roanoke Cement and Turner Construction. So thank you all for your support. And it's important uh, to, to recognize these sponsors because as I said, our work doesn't happen without your support. And, and part of that work is having boots on the ground. So I'm very excited today to introduce a new member of our team and uh, uh, somebody who uh, you will all get to connect with more in the Carolinas community. Uh, Diane Coleman just joined us on uh, July 26th, which happened to be my birthday, and it's probably the greatest birthday present that I got this year. Uh, we're so grateful to have uh, Diane uh, join our team. She's uh, uh, in the midst of, of learning everything about the history of USGBC uh, in, in the Carolinas and, and getting up to speed, and will be leading uh, our, our efforts moving forward. So. Uh, if we can all give a warm welcome to Diane, I'd like to turn it over to her to introduce herself and get us kicked off. Welcome, Diane. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I know I'm not the best birthday present, but um, I am the most um, enthusiastic about being here, being a manager, both North and South Carolina. I'm very hands-on. I have a depth of background in sustainable energy. 
Um, I know many of the companies um, maybe that are here today, as well as I look forward to meeting uh, you all, whether it's in person or virtually, as we move through our program uh, today, appreciate you being here. And I want to turn it over to Beth Watayas um, as a Senior VP, Enterprise Climate Strategy Executive, but most importantly, we know her as one of our uh, leadership uh, advisory board members. So Beth. Very nice. Thank you, Diane. And I know we're all very, very glad to have you and looking forward to working with you in your new role. Um, so welcome. Thank you everyone for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to having an excellent discussion with our panelists and of course each of you when we get to the question session. Um, I was prepping myself, you know, coming into this session. Obviously we've got some experts here for you today and I was just thinking about all that has happened in 2021 when it comes to the environment and really it's quite astounding and I started to make a list. And so if you'll bear with me, I wanted to hit a couple highlights. And I know we're going to talk about some of these things and what this means for this industry and certainly these companies as well. But when you start to think about all that's happened and happened so far, and the U.S. has rejoined the Paris Agreement and announced a new nationally determined contribution. We've seen countries committing to net zero like China. We've also seen over 20% of the world's largest companies also committing to net zero. We're getting ready to host a COP15 on biodiversity and then a COP26, of course, on climate, both happening this fall. The IEA has released their first ever 1.5 degree scenario and the IPCC is going to be releasing their sixth assessment soon. We have regular regulatory requirements already popping up across the globe with certainly many more to come. We have a convergence of shareholder and investor pressures and certainly NGOs, et cetera. And so, you know, all of this is coming together at the same time, certainly at an exciting rapid pace. And I know what that means for me and certainly probably all of you is that we're all very, very busy it's exciting and also sometimes it's very overwhelming. Um, and so we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today and to talk through you know, all that is happening and what this actually means for the green building industry and in particular, some of these um, companies that we have joining us today. So with that, I am going to, I believe, pass it over to Ben with Train Technologies to kick us off. And he's going to introduce us to um, Train and the great work that they're doing, but also himself and the role that he plays. Um, and then after we kind of get through introductions and some brief presentations from our panelists, then we'll go into the question session. So Ben, I'll pass it to you. Thanks Beth. And uh, it's great to be here on behalf of Train Technologies. And thank you to all of our attendees for uh, being interested in this event. And thank you also to USGBC uh, here in the Carolinas for putting it together. So once again, uh, my name is Ben Taka. I'm the Sustainability Programs Leader for Train Technologies. Uh, for some of you, that might be a brand new name. Some of you are probably familiar with this, but just to give you a little understanding, we were formerly known as Ingersoll Rand. Um, and just in March of last year, uh, so 2020, we completed a separation from Ingersoll Rand. So we actually sold the industrial elements of our business to a company called Gardner Denver. They, upon purchase of Ingersoll Rand, became the Ingersoll Rand brand. So that company still exists. It's just much smaller than it was uh, before. 
Uh, we separated off and we formed train technologies as a combination of train uh, commercial, train residential, and our mobile refrigeration business, Thermoking. Um, I'm here to kind of share with you guys just a quick brief overview of our sustainability journey and the things that we're doing to um, encourage adoption of green building uh, techniques and strategies. Uh, we are a global climate innovator, and like I said, our strategic brands train in Thermoking. We have an environment, we have a portfolio, excuse me, of environmental products and services. And our focus is on innovating and providing and deploying sustainable, efficient climate solutions for heating and cooling, building homes, buildings and homes, and of course, uh, making sure that mobile refrigeration transport uh, options are growing as well. We've got about 34 manufacturing locations worldwide. The closest one uh, to where I am right now here in Charlotte, we do have a remanufacturing facility here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, we also have a very large facility down in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, it's one of our manufacturing uh, locations as well. We're at, we're at right now at about 37,000 uh, total employees. That number's increased a little bit since that slide was done. And uh, last year's total uh, global revenue was at about 13.1 billion. Thank you there, I see the slide shifting. So just again, to overview our businesses here. So we're a combination of commercial uh, or trained commercial HVAC residential HVAC and supply, and then our transport refrigeration. And we operate through all the brands you see below there at the bottom of the slide. Want to make sure that we're, we're clear. So instead of being a uh, global conglomerate, as Ingersoll Rand was, of, of business units that were somewhat disconnected or separate, we now are a focused pure play company, uh, focusing entirely on innovating in the um, heating and cooling and mobile refrigeration space. Go to the next slide, Paul. So I just have two other major slides for you, this one and the next one following. Um, uh, you can see all this information on our corporate website if you go to traintechnologies.com. Uh, but I want to make sure that everyone on this call understands that our company has gone through quite a significant um, undertaking here over the last decade and a half. Uh, we've really found a way to integrate sustainability into the core of our business strategy. And uh, one way we initially did this was in 2013, we launched a set of 2020 climate commitments. Um, those climate commitments uh, focused on reducing emissions in our operations, reducing the refrigerant footprint in our global, uh, excuse me, in our um, refrigerant bearing portfolio products, and then also the financial metrics to, to, to do both of those things. So we committed about a half a billion dollars in investment uh, to achieve the emissions reductions targets we set in those two things. Um, it was a bit of a struggle to get those approved and publicly announced back in 2013, but we formally launched them in Q1 of 2014, and our goal was to hit them by 2020, and we actually went a whole lot faster than we thought we could. Uh, we achieved both of the targets we initially set out in late 2018, uh, so we surpassed them uh, by our deadline of 2020, which gave us a lot of great momentum uh, to set what we now have as our 2030 commitments. Uh, and I'm part of a team internally called the Center for Energy Efficiency and Sustainability. So we advise all of our business units and our executive leadership team on precisely how and when to integrate sustainability into our different initiatives. We have internal initiatives that focus on environmental impacts. We have internal initiatives that focus on our social and employee impacts. And then we have external initiatives that focus on our kind of responsibility and opportunity in reducing customer emissions as well. So our 2030 commitments span those three segments there you can see on the screen. Uh, the first and foremost being our gigaton challenge. This uh, is the largest to date um, uh, commitment on a product level by any B2B company and by an industrial manufacturer. So we announced this in late 2019, but we've committed to reducing our customers' carbon footprints 
by a gigaton of emissions. Um, now, we are talking specifically about our scope three downstream emissions. And for our customers, our products uh, typically make up a sizable portion of their scope one and scope two emissions. So we've effectively committed to helping our customers across the board reduce a cumulative of one gigaton of emissions um, from their scope one and scope two emissions at their own operations and properties. So um, it's a significant goal. We've already made some good progress on it. Uh, it did kick off officially January of 2020. So we are tracking this consistently uh, and we update kind of the, the, the world on where we're at every year in our annual ESG report. Uh, we intend to meet these in a couple different ways and I'll describe them here in my final slide in a moment, but we also have committed to designing systems for circularity. So thinking about what role train technologies plays in the circular economy and how we can help influence that. Uh, and then we've also made some specific commitments to develop new business models to find better ways to increase access uh, to comfort and fresh food for communities and individuals who typically do not have that kind of equitable access. Uh, in terms of our own operations there in the middle of the slide, these are our leading by example goals. Uh, so we have committed to four major aspects of our operations. So first and foremost, I'm actually going to start from the, the bottom up here, but we want to reduce our absolute energy consumption by 10%. Now, 2019 is our baseline year for this. So we're actually committing to not only growing our business this decade, but we're going to get so good with managing our own energy uh, that by 2029, we'll effectively use 10% less energy consumption overall than we did in 2019. Uh, we're deploying quite a bit of energy efficiency techniques at all of our operations, uh, all of our operation locations, and uh, doing a lot of different things to actually make sure we're in alignment with that. Uh, we also are committing to being net positive with water use, so we'll return more water to local reservoirs than we actually use in our operations. Uh, we'll also deliver zero waste to landfills by 2030. We've already made great strides in that. Uh, and then finally, also, we intend to achieve carbon neutral operations by 2030. So we want to be doing our part to be in alignment with the ideal, uh, um, you know, set of, with the ideal set across with the Paris Climate Accords to be at a net zero carbon economy by 2050. And our first major step in that is achieving carbon neutral operations by 2030. And we're well on our way with that, focusing primarily on reducing our own scope one and scope two emissions while also converting a lot of our electricity supply to either renewable on-site or off-site purchases through virtual power purchase agreements. And then our final set of commitments for 2030, of course, are focusing on our social and stakeholder impacts. Uh, we call them our opportunity for all set and we are achieving workforce diversity reflective of our communities making sure that we have gender parity in our leadership roles, maintaining our world-class safety metrics, uh, expanding wellness offerings to our entire employee base. We've also just committed $100 million to building sustainable futures for underrepresented students. So we're looking for NGOs and nonprofits to partner with whose values reflect our own primarily in encouraging young, young women and girls to enter STEM uh, training and education so that we have an opportunity to achieve parity in our, in our hiring practices here as time goes on. And we've also now initiated a goal of 500,000 hours of employee volunteer engagement. And we've also initiated some paid time off that our employees can receive if they are going and volunteering um, in local communities um, in efforts that are associated with their long-term values. Now I'll go to my final slide here. So for this audience, I thought it'd probably be best to give you just a little more insight into our gigaton challenge. Um, we know right now that heating and cooling buildings and uh, you know, uh, mobile refrigerated transport and the food loss and waste associated with gaps in our global cold chain, those things right now contribute about 25% of the global greenhouse gas emissions uh, annually. 
And if business stays the same and we don't do anything different, we don't uh, update our systems or improve or focus on energy efficiency, then that share of global greenhouse gas emissions is expected to increase to 35% by 2030. So we want to lead our industry. And we know that if, if one company can change an industry, then the industry can change the world. And, and, and our, um, our focus is on, like I said, reducing uh, the emissions related to the use of our products. So in terms of how we intend to hit our gigaton challenge, uh, we're focusing on these four major pathways. So first is accelerating clean technologies. So think of this as electrification of heating, right? The displacement of fossil fuel uses for on-site heating or industrial heating applications. Um, we are also focusing on accelerating as many passive cooling and heating techniques as we can for deployment in, in the built environment. Um, we're also focusing on ways to enable on-site renewable energy storage and, and delivery. So um, we're able to kind of help buildings and building owners you know, set themselves on a path towards a net zero energy or net zero emissions built environment. Um, the second major thing we're focusing on, of course, is system level energy efficiency. We're, we're known in the industry for producing some of the highest level energy efficiency equipment, but now we're taking looks at the entire building. So we're deploying items like building automation services with um, or building automation systems connected to smart meters so we can set up real time responsive demand and consumption management within buildings. We're also bringing together other, um, other providers of solutions such as insulation and windows and roofing to make sure that for retrofitting jobs, we are helping the building reduce its energy use as significantly as possible and not just associated to the HVAC use. We're looking at lighting and the other things we can do to improve the thermal envelope of the building. Uh, thirdly, our Thermoking business in particular has an opportunity to grow its business by also focusing on gaps in the global cold chain and producing sustainable innovation, innovative and electrified options for that. So um, we are going to directly contribute to a reduction in food loss in the global cold chain over this decade also. And then finally, we're ahead of our industry by transitioning to the low global warming potential refrigerants. Uh, we're already selling systems in about 30 countries, um, well ahead of regulatory requirements. So we're helping our customers transition earlier um, to start meeting, uh, to be regulatory resilient, but also um, start reducing their own scope one emissions related to any refrigerant leak from systems. And our goal here is by, by committing to doing these things and, and delivering that value to the marketplace, we expect the industry to follow us. Two of our competitors have already announced similar goals after we had this, this goal announced. And our goal is to bend that curve so that we are in alignment with the Paris, Accord, um, with the Paris Climate Accord's uh, goal of achieving net zero carbon economy by 2050. And I believe I'm gonna hand it off here to our next speaker. Uh, Colin Walker with Grub Properties. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. And yeah, we definitely, uh, I definitely have some trained systems in some of our buildings. So it's good to hear about all the work you're doing. So I'm the sustainability manager for Grub Properties. Uh, Grub Properties is a second generation family and employee owned business based out of Charlotte. Um, we were founded in 1963. We're a vertically integrated developer, real estate manager, um, and, and fund manager for uh, both commercial and multifamily properties. Um, multifamily specifically here being apartment buildings. Um, we've all, I, I titled my slide Mission Driven Corporate Sustainability because at our heart from when we started back in the 60s, <clears throat> we've been very focused on the personal touch. We've been very focused on enriching communities um, and, and making sure that they're still serving people first. Um, and that has evolved uh, very recently into our current push. Um, so let's take a look at the next slide. 
So I pulled these from a, a larger slide deck. I'm not gonna dive into all the details with you, but uh, about five to 10 years ago, uh, Grub Properties made a transition uh, into a new strategy. We identified a major opportunity to address the growing housing crisis in the United States. Um, this is a fascinating slide. We think about the size of uh, birth rates and the size of the baby boomer generation. We know millennials were quite large. Peak birth rate in the United States did not actually occur into 2007. So if you do the math on that, that spike of Gen Z um, uh, individuals has not actually really entered into their own independent housing and the full workforce yet, right? Um, we already have a housing shortage. 80% of millennials cannot afford the average monthly rent in the United States. Um, and this crisis is only gonna get worse. Um, go ahead and take a look at the next slide. There's some similar statistics here that just add to the crisis that we're facing. We have, as you probably are all aware, construction costs have already been historically high. And as we know, they've really been in the headlines recently for how much they're spiking and peaking. And housing uh, supply is still at historic lows. Uh, you can see the huge dip in the Great Recession, and we have been steadily climbing back, but we're still uh, around 1980 levels of housing supply. And again, when you take that perfect storm of, of shortage and increasing costs, combine it with the growing population who's going to be moving out on their own, we're facing quite an issue in terms of continuing to provide um, accessible, affordable, you know, useful, amenity-rich, and, and well-connected communities for uh, the good majority of Americans, right? So I'm here to talk about sustainability. I'm here to talk about the environment. So you know, how does this tie together, right? So that is our mission. Our mission is to address uh, the affordable and the essential housing crisis as much as possible. Myself as a sustainability manager, am here to help make that development and that growth that we are doing as sustainable as possible and minimize our detrimental impact as much as possible. So for us very much so, the environmental aspect and the social and community aspect are first of all, completely inseparable, um, equally important, and also so critical so that we are as responsibly as possible um, delivering our part of the solution to the affordable housing crisis. Um, we're going through a huge growth phase, right? Uh, we have 241 team members, so a little bit less than training, right? And um, for the entire back, history of our company, we've been a Southeast regional player, kind of boutique um, owner and developer. We now have deals coast to coast in major urban markets, very different from what we've done historically in our company. And I'm the, the first and currently only uh, dedicated sustainability and ESG uh, uh, employee at our company. And I've only been here for a few years because we're going through this massive growth and this massive change and the challenge is where is that journey taking us? So we have, we have these roots and we, we have uh, values that the company's always had and, and where we're currently at on our corporate sustainability uh, journey is to formalize, uh, increase those structures and, and hold on for an intensive growth period that the company has never seen and may never see again uh, to this extent. Um, so the next slide, please. So, how do we have an impact on this, right? We've decided to define what we call essential housing. We, we believe it's the most resilient asset class 
It's serving between 60 and 140% of area media income. And this is what we're trying to grow. So we currently have about 15 or less properties that qualify. In another seven years, we want to have only about 85 more, which would be an order of magnitude greater than we've ever had under our management. And we'd be building them all ourselves. So to, to help make this as sustainable as possible, we've developed a roadmap of six ESG initiatives that we've identified as key. Next slide. So to maximize our impact, uh, we have three uh, sections um, that, are, that the six are divided between. So first, it's really about building out our team. Um, we're looking at our governance initiatives, diversity and inclusion. Um, we want to make sure that as we grow, that we're maintaining transparency, consistency, fairness, or avoiding corruption. Um, the responsible supply chain is an extension of that as we build out our team. We've been auditing the ESG uh, initiatives and priorities and risks of our uh, partners and in our value chain. Um, and then as we build out that team, we immediately can jump into housing affordability, right? So as I said, we're trying to create the most accessible new multifamily communities possible. Um, one way to also support that housing affordability is that we have a long-term resident rent cap program. Um, your rent will not grow if you've rented with us for at least five years. We're just permanently fixing your rent if you stay with us. Um, we're also developing uh, and constantly innovating on amenity-rich living. Um, that way we can have valuable, useful, life-enriching uh, properties that, that our residents are living at um, while still keeping costs down as low as possible. Uh, we are very cost sensitive. Otherwise, we, we would not be able to meet that demographic, that underserved demographic um, with slightly lower AMI that the, 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 the young millennials and Gen Z and some older baby boomers as well that are looking for more reasonable housing in dense urban areas. So why, are, why am I here talking today, right? Because as we take all of that, we need to focus on how it's sustainable. Um, there's a lot of ways we do this. A key one that we've identified is actually the nexus between our real estate and transportation innovation. Um, it's a very bold goal, but we want to eliminate, eradicate dependence on single occupancy vehicles. You know, folks that all, everyone has to have their own car and commute everywhere in that car. Now in some major centers like New York City, that's kind of a given, right? It's very few people have cars, but in, in the markets that we're mostly playing in, it's, it's unthinkable that you would not have an abundance of parking, an abundance of cars at your properties. Um, we are going down the path of trying to make our properties and our residents as car-free as possible without forcing anyone to, right? But um, for example, we have a new community in Charlotte that has no, zero parking for the residents. It has a few guest parking spots and it's, Charlotte has not seen anything like this before. Very few markets of Charlotte's type have seen this across the country right now. Um, it, it's pushing the envelope on the types of smart, innovative transportation demand management we're playing for everyone. Um, it's, it's been interesting. It really feels like we're working in a living laboratory, right? But another reason we're doing that, again, is about the cost, right? It's about that business case. So we found that all in a parking space in one of our decks costs us north of 35,000 or more dollars per little rectangle. And that cost is ultimately getting passed on and being taken away from all the other options we could do with it. So efficiency and performance of the buildings are absolutely critical. Um, we're looking to 100% certify 
uh, green building certify or wellness certify every one of our new construction properties moving forward. So as our portfolio grows, the amount that we have is going to continue to grow until we are either a lead or NGBS or at least an energy star all together uh, well. Um, it's all going to play together and we're going to have everything being um, vetted for that long-term performance of the buildings. Um, just as important as our environmental impact, we're looking at in community engagement. We're dedicating additional funds uh, to, to reinvest in small businesses that might have been underserved in terms of their ability to find financing in various properties and, and markets that we're going into. Um, we have a 10-year commission with Habitat for Humanity to build 10 houses. Uh, to date, we've raised over $315,000 as we enter into year four. Um, this is great, right? We're doing all these different things to bring it all together. My next slide, uh, you can just go to, it shows some of the recent progress we've made, but I don't want to take too much more time. I just want to talk about high level what I'm seeing, right? The reason this makes good business sense is A, we've everything when we're doing sustainability-wise is driven by emission. Um, our investors are putting pressure on us, which is why uh, we've been partnering with GRESB. We've taken two years of assessments with GRESB right now, the Global Real Estate Sustainability Board, and we're, we're adhering to benchmarking and we're publicly reporting our scores uh, to investors that are more ESG oriented. Copenhagen Eyes is a world leading consultancy firm um, that pushes design towards other cities and communities being like Copenhagen, being like um, a lot of parts of Europe, honestly, now that are very much biking first, cars a distant second or third, right? Um, and then lastly, I also just wanted to include that we are aligning ourselves with the UN SDGs as well. Um, just as an additional framework to help make sure that we're, we're keeping an open perspective across, uh, across all of the different folks out there that are trying to structure and frame, uh, frame these goals and these material issues, right? Um, so last thing I just want to say, this is a good business sense because it's a long-term value proposition for us. The resiliency we were seeing, the, the, the value that we're getting out of our buildings, um, we hold our buildings a long time. A lot of the propositions we do would not work if we were flipping properties quickly. Um, and, and yes, I, I absolutely agree, Diane. In, in, investor impact is very critical. And, uh, and I'm very fortunate that we're getting more and more questions from investors about ESG. It makes my job easy, right? When, when the folks with money are asking about ESG factors, um, it's really easy for me to get the ear of, of senior leadership. Um, last thing I'll just lead off with, I, I, it's funny, um, uh, been talking about um, building optimization, machine learning based building algorithm uh, optimization and building management HVAC uh, controls have really been starting to roll out our properties. And on top of already very efficient systems, this extra little push is just really um, creating a lot of energy savings for us. And it's very exciting to see you know, new, uh, new technologies and AI come on board. Um, we need more disruptive innovation in, in our costs. And for us, that's mostly construction costs. We need incremental changes won't work anymore. We need to see crazy new radical ideas about how to build buildings faster and cheaper. Because um, I think we're just slowly, it's a slippery path and we're slowly losing ground to creeping costs. Um, I think I want to see better life cycle impact analysis. I think the more data we can get out there, really robust LCAs that are not extremely um, uh, expensive and, and, and burdensome to do, we can really see the all in circular impact of construction and management in the long-term life cycle of our buildings would be game-changing. And it's so hard to get that whole perspective right now in an efficient manner. And lastly, I'm sure we all feel this, I wanna see mandatory carbon pricing. Again, I, you know, in some ways I just wanna make my job easier so we can keep pushing the envelope. And 
if similar to ESG factors from investors, if we had, you know, nationwide carbon pricing um, that we had to take account for in no matter what market we were in, that would make our financial case and our bottom line so much easier, so much easier. Um, so I hope that doesn't sound like a cop out because first of all, there's a long journey, I'm sure, before we get there. But at the same time, um, you know, we'd finally capture those externalities into our industry, um, just like every other industry needs to. And, uh, and we could really start putting some interesting, I think, enlightening numbers in front of folks at our company that are aware of climate change and investors that are aware of climate change issues, but they, they're looking for that bottom line. And we, we're, I still find so many people that have not even heard of the concept of the social cost of carbon. So I, I, you know, I can't wait for that day. So those are the trends that I'm seeing and I'd like to see. And uh, with that, I wanna hand it over to Keith at Nucor. Um, oh, the last thing I'll just say right here, um, our, our, uh, I'm not shilling it, but our, uh, our CEO did write a book about more about the affordable housing crisis and what he sees we need to do with our mission. It's called Creating the Urban Dream. Feel free to, to Google if you wanna hear more about that. All right, Keith, take it away. Thanks, Colin, I appreciate it. And thanks everyone for the opportunity to spend a few minutes uh, talking a little bit about Nucor and um, our position in this particular market, shifting gears a little bit from where we've been uh, on, uh, instead of talking about buildings themselves and operating buildings, but uh, more the materials uh, that go into the buildings and uh, what Nucor is doing today and what Nucor plans to do in the future uh, in this space. So first, a little bit about Nucor. Uh, next slide, please, Ryan. The um, Nucor is uh, the North America's largest steel and steel products company, uh, uh, most diversified product will, uh, company as well, which we'll talk a little bit more about some of the products here in a second, but uh, 25 scrap-based steel mills with annual production capacity of 27 million tons. That puts us uh, at approximately a third the capacity of the North American steel generation, uh, steel market. Um, also North America's largest recycler, actually we're the Western Hemisphere's largest recycler in that uh, we recycle more uh, steel at the end of uh, one year than uh, any other product uh, any combined uh, anywhere uh, in the Western Hemisphere. So put that in perspective, that's a little bit less than one uh, new car uh, every second, 24 seven, 365 days a year. So next slide, please. It, uh, Oh, okay, we got a different presentation here, but that's fine. So a little bit about our, that's fine, go ahead there. A little bit about our products um, and our leadership uh, in the market space. Um, number one in uh, the structural merchant bar, uh, steel joist decking, metal building, steel piling, as you notice, there's a lot of construction related products that we see uh, in uh, our product portfolio. And um, uh, it's important to recognize that we recognize that uh, green building and, and things like a variety of uh, construction projects, including this would include also uh, roads, bridges, et cetera, are, are an important space to, to bring materials to the market that uh, have the lowest possible footprint and uh, the, the highest possible uh, positive impact on projects going forward. So next slide, please. So a little bit more depth on our product line. A lot of these uh, products, I'm sure, are products that folks would recognize. Um, again, our, our sales to outside customers uh, are approximately 55, 56% of our sales ends up in the construction market uh, and a variety of other tangent markets to it, uh, including energy, road, bridges, et, et cetera. Um, next slide. 
So here's where we can start getting into a little bit more of the sustainability and ESG meat and potatoes here and uh, talk a little bit more about our uh, environmental stewardship. So our current uh, greenhouse gas intensity per ton of steel produced is about half of what the global average is. Part of the reason for that is, is uh, our technology, uh, as I mentioned earlier, they're all of our uh, steel mills are uh, electronic arc furnace scrap based uh, steel mills. What that allows us to do is to use um, up to 100% scrap as the raw material to produce new steel. To contrast that to a typical uh, integrated steel production uh, methodology, they're, they're tapped out or maxed out at about 30% recycled content. So regardless of the product that ends up being produced off of an integrated steel process, you're only gonna see about a maximum of 30% uh, recycled content. So what does that mean in terms of footprint? Uh, these are some of the results here. So uh, about half of the greenhouse gas intensity of, uh, of the uh, global average, uh, it takes about a quarter of the energy. And with an electric arc furnace, the mass, vast majority of that energy comes from electricity, which is uh, the, the more simple uh, energy source to uh, uh, decarbonize going forward. Uh, let's look at the next slide, please. So um, as we've discussed most recently on July 15th, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, introduced uh, a new greenhouse gas reduction target. This is new to Nucor. Um, we've uh, committed to a 35% combined reduction of scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions uh, by 2030. Um, again, to put that in uh, some level of comparison, that would put us at 77% lower than the uh, global today's global average. And in uh, today's uh, market, it, with even the most aggressive uh, 1.5 degree scenarios you see out there, our uh, current emissions intensity is well below the industry target uh, today. So um, this is a significant commitment uh, from from Nucor and uh, will make obviously a, a, a recognizable difference uh, in in our greenhouse gas output uh, going forward. Next slide, please. So, how do we want to achieve that, or what are some of the pathways to achieve that? Um, talk about several things here, but energy is probably one of the most important. As I mentioned, energy is about fifty percent of um, uh, electricity. Rather, is about fifty percent of the energy input into most of our products. Uh, we have reached out and signed several uh, PPAs uh, and have many more in the, uh, in the pipeline. Uh, last year, last fall, we uh, announced a 250 megawatt solar project in Texas. Uh, in addition, uh, early this year, uh, 100, another 100 megawatt uh, project in Texas. Uh, there's a 70 megawatt uh, wind, uh, wind project in uh, Kansas that is directly associated with one of our facilities in uh, Missouri, uh, providing 100% green electricity to that facility currently. Uh, again, there are several other PPAs um, uh, in progress that we would expect to announce relatively soon, uh, but that doesn't stop there. We're also looking at a variety of on-site generation uh, potential, uh, everything from uh, wind to solar to a variety of energy storage. Uh, solutions, et cetera. Um, last year, uh, Nucor was number seven in the commercial market for uh, renewable energy purchases. Uh, and uh, we again look to target uh, something on that list again this year. Um, as far as scope one emissions reductions, there are uh, several steps that we continue to take besides already being a very efficient 
uh, user of energy. Um, we are uh, consistently looking for a variety of different uh, options, some major, some minor, uh, including carbon capture and storage, including uh, using biochar in place of some other carbon elements that we, um, that we use uh, and are necessary to be part of the steelmaking process. So um, as we continue to go forward, there's, there's never a, uh, a complete solution to, to make this work, uh, but there's always targets uh, that are out there uh, that we uh, continue to look for uh, interesting and innovative solutions uh, to lead going forward. One additional uh, topic that's not on my slide deck here, but that's how it relates directly with LEED. Um, many of you, I'm sure, have uh, projects that have used products from Nucor and um, uh, will continue to provide you know, documentation and, and education and other guidance as far as using our products uh, on a variety of projects uh, all over. We've uh, supplied products to you know, th literally thousands of LEED projects over the years. Um, but the other thing that's uh, sort of interesting for us is we've actually embarked on our own lead project for the first time, uh, and it's a significant one. It's, it's a campus project uh, of approximately 2 million square feet, which includes a variety of industrial and office space. Um, it, um, has a, it will have about nine or 10 buildings on it ultimately by the time we're all done. Um, and we're real excited about that. I mean, it's putting a new perspective on kind of how we approach some things. Um, it's uh, uh, brought us a, 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 a much deeper uh, appreciation for the challenges that we face uh, as a community to um, provide green buildings and build uh, better, more efficient green buildings uh, going forward. So uh, it's exciting for us. We're um, anxious to continue forward with it. And I look forward to questions uh, as we uh, proceed here a little bit later. So with that, I wanna hand it off to uh, Lisa Richards from uh, Crescent Communities and uh, take it away, Lisa. Thanks so much, Keith. Um, so I am going to bring it back to buildings and sustainability in buildings, but before I do, I just want to thank the three presenters before me. I am super inspired by uh, what Ben with Train shared uh, on their carbon neutral operations goals. Colin, I'm very familiar with Grub Properties and the work that they're doing, and I'm especially excited about the, the project right here in Charlotte. I'm based in Charlotte, just a, probably a two miles from the uh, zero parking community that he mentioned, and I'm very excited to see that one coming out of the ground. And Nucor, I had no idea that the company was so innovative in terms of GHG reduction and renewable goals. So thanks guys, I'm, I'm humbled and excited about what y'all are doing. So I'm, um, my name is Lisa Richards, as he mentioned, I'm the Director of Stewardship with Crescent Communities. And in this role, it's, it's very similar to a Corporate Social Responsibility Director with a particular emphasis on environmental sustainability. I've been with Crescent for about six years, but in this role specifically for about two and a half years. And um, I think it's really funny how life works out. I'm convinced that um, I'm in this role because of my passion for the environment. Um, I have a background in real estate, more specifically in construction and marketing of real estate, but I've always been extremely passionate about the environment. And along with the evolution of the business strategy at Crescent, it, it really aligned with the evolution of my career. And I found myself in this role that it's just a perfect fit for me and I just love what I do. So 
Uh, moving to the next slide, a little bit about the company. Um, Crescent Communities is a commercial real estate development company. We are based in Charlotte, North Carolina, but we have offices across the country um, in the locations you can see here. The company has been in business since 1963, but of course it's changed a lot over the years. Uh, the most recent version of Crescent involved two business units, specifically commercial real estate development and multifamily real estate development. Um, but as we continue to evolve, we're expanding to include additional lines of business, including a new middle market multifamily, build to rent townhome communities, industrials becoming increasingly a part of our commercial business. And uh, we've added a value add line of office as well. Um, in addition, we're about to break ground on an enormous uh, project here in Charlotte. It's a 1400 acre master planned and sustainability focused community called the River District. And I'm sure I'll have an opportunity to tell you a little bit more about that later. Um, but I, the one thing that I can say consistent with what Colin shared, there's a lot of growth happening here as well. So I guess that's consistent across our real estate development broadly. Um, moving on to the next slide. As I mentioned, the company has evolved. This slide really just shows some of our legacy projects, some of the past projects we've done across the country. And I will highlight some more of our current projects here in just a few minutes. But moving on to the next slide, why, um, why does Crescent Communities embrace corporate social responsibility and green building specifically? Uh, it's kind of what you see here. Uh, this uh, slide indicates our vision. It's to build community and better people's lives. And our four values support that. Uh, the pillars are to be curious, do what's right, innovate always, and deliver excellence. So I think our commitment to environmental sustainability is driven by these values. Uh, we feel that our tenants and renters and probably even increasingly our investors, as has been mentioned, they're all seeking better building overall. And this commitment has been accelerated, of course, recently by these questions investors are asking, which is great news. Like Colin said, this really drives home what I'm doing and it makes uh, my job a little bit easier. Um, I'm sure, again, we'll probably get to that a little bit later as well. but. Uh, onto the next slide. A little bit of a history behind our sustainability efforts. Um, Crescent Communities is at a long-standing commitment to stewardship. Both our commercial and multifamily teams have pursued some of the very first lead pilot programs in the early 2000s. And the strategy though, it's evolved over time. Uh, for quite a few years, we used certifications to demonstrate our commitment. So it was sort of, we're, we're building sustainably, look at how many certifications we have. It was much a check the box approach. Uh, but our approach really evolved over the last couple of years. Um, I would say with pressure to understand our, our, our footprint, our you know, carbon footprint, but also just our performance. So our approach right now um, that evolved is based on looking at the performance of our products, of our buildings and capturing data in terms of energy, water and waste. We still pursue green certifications on all of our multifamily and commercial office developments. With commercial office, we pursue LEED, of course, and with multifamily, we're looking at LEED and NGBS certification. Uh, for our value-add commercial projects, we're considering looking at LEED O&M for most of our projects and evaluating other opportunities too. I think um, you know we get the question often of like, why, why why can't we just build to these standards and not certify? And sure, that's pretty valid, but I love 
knowing that with a certification goal in mind, there's no opportunity to value engineer any of these important efforts out. And if we are at a corporate level making this commitment to measure our impact, we need those certifications to just ensure that that's happening. Um, I'll point out while we have this slide up as well, uh, that last year we revised these pillars. So the stewardship report that we published on an annual basis, we've been doing this for quite a few years, we have reorganized it to represent an ESG report. So we report, have we have chapters for each, but our pillars modified a little bit. The environment pillar at the top there outlines our commitment to tackle climate change and to measure our progress. It's nice to be able to use that word climate change and have no one pushing back on that. And as I mentioned, we're measuring in terms of energy, water, and waste. And also the third pillar, wellness, um, we spelled out our commitment to wellness very clearly and specific to wellness. For our commercial and office buildings, we pursue wellness certifications as well. So either well or fit well. And for multifamily, we've, we've been seeking fit well certification where it's appropriate. And I couldn't help but notice um, among the participants on this discussion today, some of the folks who have joined us are some of our partners, uh, both at, who've helped us with these certifications. I just have to give a quick little shout out to Little Architects, who've helped us a lot with our projects and Southern Energy Management. Thanks, guys. Um, so where does that leave us now for the future? Um, you know, I feel as though our approach to environmental sustainability is really the tipping point right now. Um, between the investor requests for more robust ESG data and some of the super innovative things that we've been sort of pressured to try out, um, we're really, I feel like, about to change the narrative. It's such an exciting time to be in this kind of role. We're researching things that I wouldn't have expected. Like we're looking at mass timber. We're looking at low carbon concrete and solar. And I know solar is a challenge here. I'm super props to Nucor for, for doing um committing to renewable energy because um, you know, in the Southeast here, it is a little bit more challenging because our uh, prices of energy are so affordable. But um, I think that there's opportunity to, to definitely push that forward. So again, I wanna bring up ESG reporting uh, because I think that the consolidation and streamlining of ESG reporting frameworks and the mechanisms are available are going to help to drive this. Our investment team is being faced with new questions and they haven't been able, haven't had to address these before. And again, the, these questions are sort of inconsistent across the board too. So I think that, you know, as there's streamlining, that's going to help the process. I know uh, Colin mentioned that the Grub team is reporting to GRESB and there are definitely other frameworks out there um, and they're going to help us to streamline our approach. But I think that um, it's also important for us to first understand our impact before we can like some of the things that are going, the questions we're going to be asked are going to include your net zero carbon goals. And we haven't been able to establish that quite yet because again, we're still at those, we're embarking on this journey by collecting our data and being able to report our impact in terms of energy, water, and waste first. But I'm sure that that's something that, that's going to be happening, definitely going to be coming on soon. So again, I have to point out here too, I can't agree more with Colin um, on what he mentioned about carbon um, and um carbon pricing. This is my view personally. I'm. This does not represent the views of Crescent communities broadly, but I think that we're going to need carbon pricing in order to make the massive change that we need in order to uh, reach our goals. So with that though, I, I let's go on to the next slides. Let me show you a few more of the more recent projects that we've completed for context. Uh, what you see here is Novel South Capital. This is a DC based project. It was a LEED silver certified 
and FitWell certified. It's a super cool community, obviously, with views of the Capitol and an amazing rooftop amenity and partial green roof. So I'm really proud of this one. Uh, the next slide is Ally Charlotte Center. Ally Charlotte Center in Uptown Charlotte. We are actually moving our corporate office into this building in September, and I just can't wait. The building is pursuing lead and well for the Corn Shell. Ally Financial, the main occupier, is also pursuing these certifications for their own space, and we, Crescent Communities, on our space, we are pursuing lead and well for our own build-out. And the building itself is also Wired Score certified, ensuring digital connectivity for the future. So excited about this one. And the, the next slide, I mentioned very briefly earlier in my presentation, the River District. Um, this is, uh, this, this community offers us the opportunity to design, build and operate an entire community to a high level of sustainability standards. We're just embarking on this project, really shovels in the ground this year. Um, and again, it's a 1400 acre master plan mixed use community with a, a large portion being set aside for conservation easement. And there's just such a strong sustainability message here. Uh, working, we're working toward the development of a one planet living action plan for the community. So this takes into account the 10 principles of one planet living, and I'll show you those in the next slide. But with that, we are likely, we're exploring the opportunity right now to pursue lead for communities. We've been chatting with a lot of the folks at the USGBC on the opportunity there, but um, that's really in support of broadly our framework of sustainability, which you're seeing on the screen here. One Planet Living is a framework from Bioregional. They're based in London, but I just love this approach. It looks at the 10 principles of One Planet Living, and we are required to put actionable steps behind each one of these. So you can see it covers everything from health and happiness, land use, equity and local economy, all the way to zero carbon. So um, this really provides us an opportunity to do something super innovative. I'm excited to share, hopefully on future presentations, what this ends up looking like. But um, with that, that's all I have to share with you. I'd love to hand it on to Justin Edwards. Justin is with Tanger Outlets, and uh, thanks so much. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, as Lisa said, I'm Justin Edwards. I'm with Tanger Outlets. Uh, I support our corporate operations team. So within that team of our organization is our energy sustainability, procurement and sourcing, contract administration, risk and insurance and tenant coordination. And the reason why I make that list is because relevant to this conversation, it's important in my role to make sure that all of those disciplines are approaching ESG efforts and sustainability efforts uh, equally. And they're all intertwining and having similar conversations. Um, I don't think in this presentation, you're gonna hear anything groundbreaking that the folks before me uh, didn't share, uh, some very good stuff. I think what you'll, you'll hear a little bit differently is a commercial landlord perspective, uh, bringing in retailers and having the difficulty of navigating these sustainability efforts. And in some situations when we don't completely control our own destiny. Uh, but with that, let's, let's do a quick overview. Next slide, please. And, and just a, another quick overview of, of myself in general. So um, I started with Tanger in January of this year. Uh, prior to that, I was with a company called Brookfield Properties Retail Group out of Chicago. So although I'm going to be sharing a lot of things of what uh, Tanger Outlets has done from an ESG perspective in the last several years, I'll forewarn you that I had no real part in that. 
Um, but I, I have been uh, very familiar with all these initiatives, uh, very similar to what other REITs are doing, and very happy with what the team is pushing for in the last 12 months. So um, a little overview of Tanger Outlets. It's a leading operator of upscale open air outlet centers, a publicly traded REIT that owns and or has ownership interest in a portfolio of 36 outlet centers. Our operating park properties are located in 20 states and Canada, totally approximately about 13.6 million square feet, leased over 2,500 stores operated by a little bit more than 500 tenant base brand names. Tanger uh, is actually celebrating their 40th year anniversary this year. So next slide, please. And the topic in hand, uh, corporate responsibility and, and how we're navigating these conversations within our uh, industry. Uh, we, we focus on three pillars uh, like listed, the places, community, and people. Um, how we approach these uh, are dynamic year to year. Uh, I know just this year alone, coming off of our 2020 year that was anomaly in itself of how we adjust those goals, how do we continue those goals, and how do we pivot towards other goals under these different disciplines. Uh, material uses, these are just some of those uh, top discipline items that we're approaching, whether it be via our culture of our folks, uh, diversity and equal opportunity, corporate governments, culture, um, all those line items. Next slide, please. Okay, now we can get into uh, kind of some the key initiatives and accomplishments. So uh, kind of listed through the three pillars that we have under this is our planning, um, enhancing the transparency of ESG. This, is, this has been incredibly important for Tanger Outlets because the forward communication of our efforts hasn't been a focus in the past. Um, we did some best practices. Uh, we were implementing LED, water, uh, smart water, all the different things that you hear other REITs and landlords doing. We just weren't communicating that outwards to our shareholders, our stakeholders, our communities, and our customers. Um, so having the transparency and communicating that reporting and having the means of that reporting is a huge focus for us, actually, in this year alone. Um, and, you know, again, it's continuing LED lighting will be 100% LED by the end of the year, same with several other initiatives. Um, our community, um, some of the other folks before me uh, listed some of the things similar to this. Uh, first time I've ever been a part of an organization that gives me allocated paid time off to volunteer in my community. Uh, the outreach of the Tanger and the Tanger family alone is, uh, is, a, is very good and very well received here in the Greensboro. Um, and then our property teams, uh, as they reach out in the 30-something different markets, has been even equally well-received uh, people. So um, several other organizations, including ourselves, uh, established a DNI council this year. And, and what's been a pleasant surprise and also just awesome to witness is some of the initiatives coming out of um, one of my favorites is the support of small business owners into our centers that wouldn't normally be able to get into a Tanger outlet or that type of an establishment itself. Uh, getting them in there and the, the stores that they put together and, and the efforts they do, the, the sense of pride they have in that space, 
Um, we have some, you know, some literature, some collateral that gets posted and some videos on it. And it is just, it's just awesome stuff to see. And, and you know, and that's how we incubate uh, temporary tenants into uh, uh, perm leases. And we've seen that successful to date. Um, other focuses and with our people. I think, I think another one that I would like to really touch on that, that goes beyond some of the stuff that's listed in our achievements is the reorg of our organization. And that's how this really ties to the conversation that we're having today on uh, sustainability and, and green building practices. And that is how our organization has been flipped upside down in the last 10 months and how the field, it's truly a field-driven organization. Uh, we have made our property managers the essentially the CEO of their asset, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, now with with that, they, they have to understand the financials more of that piece and the initiatives. And then, but they understand why there's corporate initiatives like sustainability, ESG, and whatnot. Um, it's that type of ownership towards those assets and that type of ownership towards KWH usage and that type of waste usage and, and deferments and those different things that we are all trying to quantify here corporately. Now that we've flipped this perspective with our folks in the field, and made them those owners and communicated that in transparency of why that's important. Um, it, it's been groundbreaking for the organization. Uh, it's just been very well received and uh, a, a true sense of ownership that from our, our folks that have been, it's just been impactful to say the least. Uh, next slide, please. There's a lot of just uh, some, some of the statistics of what's been done today from our 2016 base year. Um, you know, these, these have all been great initiatives for us to hit. I'm not going to go through every one of them. I think some of the things that, that I think was great for me to hear is as we have, I think we have 12, we have 12 properties that are LEED Gold certified, another eight, another nine under review right now. Um, again, going back to, um, I, I don't want to call it pounding our own chest, right? But being able to communicate the things that this organization has been doing in the past. Uh, I think three of those assets that were built within the last five years were LEED Gold certified when we revisited them uh, two years ago. And we've done nothing to them since they were built. Uh, so these were assets that were being built LEED Gold certified. Um, all we were doing was circling back around and administratively making that. Uh, official, right? And that, that's, that's impactful for us corporately to know that we are putting those initiatives in place. We've been making those best practices, those, those green initiatives. Um, we just needed to do a better job of communicating that and making sure folks appreciated the fact of why that's important to this organization. Um, speaking to more some of our uh, diversity efforts, um, some items else here on the check, but I think the next slide is where we can really uh, spend some topics of conversation towards the end of the presentation. Uh, so looking ahead, so I think I think I'll I'll communicate again why these goals for Tanger Outlets have been that it's all been communication. Uh, there's been some folks here at this place that have been here for a very long time, and then there's a whole new era of. Uh, new support to come in. And when we're starting to collaborate some of the best in-class practices throughout the country, 
it's pretty easy to make uh, things impactful, right? If we can just open our ears and open and listen to our teams on some of these practices and start making a grocery list of best practices. And, and you know, and that's what we do here as an organization. We have a monthly ops level and these are all our operations directors. And I wish I could, you know, spend more time on sharing some of these best practices, but this is how we fine tune the operations of our assets day in and day out. And it's all lessons learned. And it's all how we can save the KWH, and how we can reclaim water from our train units on our roofs uh, and, you know, from the condensation efforts and use that to irrigate our uh, lawns and our landscaping, which we have in place. It's, it's all those things of taking everybody's best ideas and scaling them throughout our operations. And that, that's probably the thing that makes me most excited is to normalize all those practices moving forward. Uh, expanding the DEI, uh, obviously, there's a lot more that we have coming with that. Um, I just sat on a on an internship presentation this morning, and some of the ideas coming from that group too, especially associated to our DNI, uh, we were all taking notes about as quickly as we could on it. Um, again, the LED and smart irrigation, all stuff that's in place, we're kind of fine tuning some of those, upgrading some of those other controls. A lot of LED lighting has been in place for um, you know, four or five years now, but now more focusing on the controls of those dynamics and more of that EMS type systems to help that. Uh, another useful tool that we're trying to get underway right now is we have, we have a bunch of data. And every year when it comes to ESG reporting, it's a very complex and stressful time for all the collection of that data. How can we how can we make that simplify? How can we automate that practice? And that's something that we're getting ready to roll out in the next couple of months is having that automated dashboard, not only for us from a, from a corporate sustainability and, and reporting mechanism, but to also, again, give ownership to those property teams as they're chasing their sustainability goals and their usage goals um, and being able to check in on a regular basis to make sure that they're running the well-oiled machine that they were hired to do so. Um, and, and the last one that, that, so that kind of aligns with why it's important to our teams. Uh, there, there is a, there is an incentive baked into how our, uh, the, to their important performance goals on reaching sustainability efforts. And, you know, you don't, you don't want it to downplay that we do sustainability for one reason or another, but you know, that's how important it is to take that we will base uh, compensation off of, uh, performance of our sustainability efforts. So I think those are all things that have been done. How do we continue them? Um, some other things that we've really been pursuing. Uh, we have about 100 EV chargers that have been a nice amenity, free amenity to our customers. Uh, we just contracted to put another 250 in in the next 10 months. Um, waste management, more of a comprehensive way of how uh, nobody produces more car uh, cardboard than 100 retail tenants. Uh, so how we fine-tune that program and that reporting, uh, tenant build-outs. That's more so what I spoke to in the beginning of the presentation on how, how we may have initiatives that we want to pursue, but if we don't have our partners involved, it is a very difficult process to get them there. So when we start building out tenant spaces and reviewing plans and specifications, making sure that those specifications are meeting not only our expectations, but uh, different certification expectations. 
Um, other things, uh, seven of our assets now have honeybees on their roof. Uh, <laughs> I was so happy to roll this out uh, this spring, and I cannot tell you how awesome this experience has been. Uh, the, the, the teams that are getting up on the roof and, and checking on their honeybee hives and, and the, the contest where we're naming our who's got the best name for their queen bee. Uh, um, it's just been great to share. Uh, each property is going to end up with about 100 jars of tanger honey at each site that they're going to give back to their community and share amongst themselves. And uh, it's just a, it's been a great initiative for us. Um, Nashville is a property that we're looking to break dirt on. And that's something that I think kind of speaks to what some other of my peers here on the call talking to is we, we've, we've approached a portfolio of how we make them the best they can be when we circle back to them. But how do we build one that's in place and, and has all the bells and whistles from a sustainability effort that we want it to be? And that's under review right now. Some really exciting stuff to come as far as how that gets built out. Um, we do have some solar. We have only about six megawatts on our rooftops that down that buy down um, some of our house meter units, making that uh, more sustainable. We are looking at doubling, potentially tripling that in next year. Uh, not so much on necessarily house meters, but how that ties into our tenants and their ESG efforts of purchasing green power. Um, so I think, you know, that's a long list of the uh, objectives that we're trying to hit and trying to meet um, a lot more to come. And I love hearing, I mean, I feel like I've learned more on listening to these folks than you're going to hear from me, but I appreciate your time. That's, that's it for Tanger Outlets. And I think I'm supposed to circle back to Beth. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you, Justin. And um, thank you to everyone on the panel. I have to say, I knew it was going to be a good panel and you know but when we were envisioning this and we were looking and thinking about who could be part of this and how would it come together I have to say this is even better than I imagined so <laughs> I really appreciate it and and even better that all these great companies are you know here essentially in our, our backyard in the Carolinas so I um, really appreciate all of you coming together and sharing these stories so there were quite a few themes I think we saw some questions coming through but I thought I would just kind of open it up to the whole group, maybe two questions, and then um, we'll start taking some from our participants on the line today. So one of the themes that I, I heard um, come through quite a lot, and I know it's something that we are experiencing um, as a financial institution, right, is the kind of in increased interest in our environmental commitments and our programs and in order to, I think, increase transparency and to um, set goals across every part of our business, um, we need more and better data. Uh, and so I'd love for everyone just to kind of talk through, you know, what are those data challenges that you're running into? And when it comes to reporting and sharing your story, how has that changed? And what are you doing as a result of that? And um, Lisa, I don't want to pick on you, but I will, <laughs> because I know you had um, mentioned this specifically. So maybe if you want to kick off and then we'll do a round robin on that. Yeah, I would, I would be happy to. And I saw there was a question sort of related to this in the chat too, but I would say in terms of challenges, especially we we're a little bit different from, I mean, I, I would even say from um, Grub, from Collins team, because 
Um, we face challenges because we're a real estate developer and not a long-term asset manager historically. While we have some communities that we do hold on to longer term, we primarily build communities to sell them. <laughs> so it's harder to gather data, meaningful data and report over time on that. And it's especially difficult to, it, it makes it more challenging to make the business case for sustainability too. Um, especially if you look at a multifamily community, for instance, um, a lot of the more innovative strategies that we might employ the ultimate beneficiary is the resident. Um, and you know, it, it, it's just harder for us. It, but that being said, I mean, we, we're looking at ways to, to bridge that gap. And also we are um, beginning to hold on to some of our assets longer term. And with those, we are innovating. We're definitely exploring some options that we haven't before, like solar and whatnot. But um, as I mentioned, that's one of the reasons that we are setting our goals around energy, water, and waste too, as a starting point. And we, you know, I feel like we're just such a small fish in this big pond, but we're using a free tool, Energy Star Portfolio Manager, to capture this data, like many people do on the beginning of their journey, but to make that data as accurate and as robust as possible. And I think that was the question that came in the chat. We, have, we kind of identified a very meticulous implementation plan that highlights exactly who's responsible for what, what exact data we are capturing. And at the same time, our multifamily team, we're very fortunate that we've um, consolidated the utility monitoring company that we're working with. We previously worked with all of them, and now we're going to be working with just one going forward. So we'll have the same contacts. So we can assure that the data is at least being entered consistently. Um, that's kind of our approach. Um, again, it's, all of this is just a step. I just think that, you know, technology is coming that's going to help us to achieve goals that we have not yet set. Uh, some of these other great organizations on this panel have set their, gar their carbon reduction goals. I hope that that's something that we can do in the future. I hope that I answered that appropriately, and I'm sure the rest of the panelists have better input there too. Can I piggyback on that real quick? Because it's very parallel. Um, yeah, I mean, I same thing, right? 2020, 2021, data quality has been my white whale, right? And and you feel bad at first. It's like, you know, it, it's, it's 2021. Like, we got this. This is just basic utility data, right? It's nothing too crazy. Like I said, it's not this pie in the sky of amazing embodied carbon life cycle assessments, right? Cradle to cradle or something insane like that, right? We're just, we're just talking about basic data, but it's death of a thousand cuts. Um, you end up with different utility companies that are not in 2021 for the rest of us. So we, we come up with a meticulous game plan like Elisa was talking about. And then you go to a smaller town or city's um, municipal power and water. They don't have a website where you can even still check bills yet, right? So there goes all your plans for scraping data. Um, so, and, and, and so I was kind of getting down on myself, like, why, why can't, this should just be an afterthought at this point, right? Well, even Gresb, um, one of, there's only a few types of goals that you can enter into their, their structured um, reporting framework. And it's, it, it's lofty things like you'd imagine, like GHG and energy water waste reduction targets. One of the types of goals that you can enter in that same class is uh, data reporting. And, you, and, and how you're trying to get a roadmap to 100%. So I think that's an indication that at least in 
you know, in, in the real estate and, and, and property manager and landlord, that it's still a challenge for a lot of people across the entire globe. Um, we had a similar solution. We have been consolidating under one partner that found a cost-effective approach that works for us that also is a higher reliability and accountability that the data is correct. Because we've gone through a few different partners before and, uh, and things just kept breaking left and right. And it was, you know, it was trying to put out a million little leaks um, and it's, like I said, death of a thousand cuts. So you, you have to consolidate and you have to find a partner who's willing to step up or you need to have enough manpower internally to constantly be on top of it. And at least the way we operate, we're very scrappy, we're very lean and, uh, and we needed additional outside support to keep that data quality accurate and high. Great, thank you both. Did anyone else wanna chime in on that? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in quickly. Um, you know, as a product manufacturer, it's probably an easier solution for us uh, in terms of data management, but that doesn't, uh, certainly doesn't cut down on the quantity of data that we need to deal with. So um, we have uh, 300 operating divisions around the U.S. and all of them uh, are connected and collect data into a, a central repository. And uh, it, the, the, just like any other building or any other data collection exercise, it's a constant battle to make sure the data is always updated, make sure that the data is accurate, uh, you know, error checking, uh, et cetera. So um, while it may sound or seem easier in an industrial environment to be able to just plug in a meter someplace and collect what you need to collect, it uh, certainly is a more challenging experience than, than that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good point. I think, um, you know, just thinking about scope one and scope two, right? I think we have 9,000 facilities globally. We lease most, more than 75%. And so that means that we don't pay all of our utility bills directly, right? Or a variety of things. And I think often the complexities of even the stuff that is considered to be simple or basic, right? Utility bills um, can be actually quite complicated and in some cases hard to get your hands on that real data. And, you know, I, I think about that and then us as a financial institution now too, we're responsible for our clients, the mission. <laughs> um, and so we're working to quantify that and ultimately set goals. And just like many of you are certainly Keith, I know probably responsible for some of your, your vendors, your supply chain, just like Ben and like us as well. And so all of this is interconnected and I know, um, you know, we all face very similar challenges in getting this data and, and an increasing amount of people who want the data <laughs> um, and not always in the same format. So I think, you know, hopefully we'll see more convergence, especially as we see more regulatory reporting around this going and, forward. And Beth, I, th I think it, it also is important to add the interesting thing that I see is, is the newness of some of the newer technology, whether it's renewable energy for electricity uh, buys or how that's mixed with grid electricity or, you know, in our case, other inputs that, you know, have a different or, you know, whether it be smaller or whatever carbon footprint, some of our normal materials, how you actually uh, find and get that data. Again, it sounds really simple, but when you get an electric bill that, you know, shows up on the 15th and 10% of it is renewable and 90% is is grid electricity and you know you have to figure out how it fits in the month of January or the month of February, et cetera. 
the, all those little questions just consume a tremendous amount of time and it's very difficult to automate it at this point. So I think going forward, as some of these newer technologies become more incorporated into day-to-day -day life, I think we'll see you know, better solutions and maybe that data will continue to improve over time. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really good point. I know we just completed our largest solar installation and we are trying to figure out exactly how, <laughs> you know, that data is communicated and shared and then third party verified and, you know, maybe blockchain is the solution down the line, right? Or, you know, there will have to be um, some evolution of technologies for tracking of all of this type of data for sure. Can I make one practical thing in case anyone who's yeah. attending is not familiar with it? If you like Excel, and you want to see how good you can be. If you're not familiar with the eGrid tool that's released by the EPA, um, it addresses the question, the GHG side, right? You can get really detailed and granular about the, GHG, the GHG impact of um, your scope to emissions from the grid. But generally, you can just rely on the eGrid tool. It's a massive spreadsheet. I'm not going to go into the details now, but it can give you a very confident um, source of truth on what was your GHG impact from your electrical consumption. So take a look at that, Google it. It comes out every couple of years. Yep, that's a really important tool to actually do the calculations. <laughs> Absolutely. Very good note, Colin. Um, okay, I think at this point, I'll pause on the next question because I think we have nine minutes left and see, Ryan, did anything come in through the chat that you'd like us to address? I was, I was muted. Uh, yeah, there were definitely some questions that, that came in. Uh, Chris had asked uh, to Ben, uh, how much has ESG influenced your roadmap going forward? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I mean, ESG really has become the kind of all-encompassing, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, template for which we make any strategic decisions now. ESG, for those who may be hearing the term for the first time, is environmental, social, and governance. Um, the way we like to think about it is what changes to our governance structure uh, do we need to make in order to ensure that uh, we are reducing any negative impacts to environment and uh, kind of our social stakeholder groups um, and, and, or, and also in general improving the impacts with those two kind of categories. So for example, just recently uh, we announced near the end of last year, we have tied uh, all executive leadership team compensation to the 2030 commitments to KPIs that they have to meet uh, each year in order to receive certain elements of their compensation package. So, um, you know, and now we're, we've also uh, tied a good portion of all salaried employees that are eligible to receive bonuses. The, um, uh, one of the metrics we use to measure to receive those bonuses is their contribution to these 2030 commitments. So um, our governance structure is now, I would say, uh, extremely strong to encourage the movement towards achieving all of those 2030 targets. So, you know, the question Chris posed is pretty simple, but, but I guess my simple answer is it, is it is the lens through which we now view everything. And we've in, uh, now strengthened our governance structure to make sure that it is not just talk, but, you know, our executive leadership team on down all have um, very clear KPIs that they're intended to um, influence directly that relate to any of the different uh, types of 2030 commitments we have. ESG is the, the acronym of the moment. I, I think I've heard it more in the last uh, six months than I have in my entire life too. So it's 
certainly there. Um, so Narav had a question, which I think also was for you, Ben, uh, probably uh, also relevant to, to Keith, because uh, it's really just the manufacturing and transportation. Uh, but he said, do you think there are instances where reducing transportation emissions, either by reducing distance in the supply chain or making transportation more efficient, could lead to lower costs for manufacturers? So huge source of emissions, but sustainable scope strategies rarely tackled. So I'm going to let you and, and Keith uh, answer that. And if anybody else wants to chime in, that'd be great. Sure, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. So our Thermo King business, right, we, we do provide quite a bit of the equipment uh, that that provides for all uh, global cold chain uh, transportation, whether it's you know by land, by sea, or by air. Um, also, our Thermo King business provides the cooling uh, equipment for box trucks, vans, and even HVAC equipment for public transportation, buses, and trains. Um, so we we have a, a very um, close relationship with with much of the transportation industry. Of course, we can't speak for all of it. Um, but a couple things that Thermo King is doing specifically to reduce emissions related to refrigerated transport. Um, first thing is we're electrifying our entire portfolio. So Thermo King already has electric, um, electrified, so non-diesel powered, right? Because that was historically how uh, these units were powered. But um, they, we now have electrified units for all um, uh, truck classes, except for class eight and nine. So class eight and nine are the largest, you know, truck and trailer um, units. Uh, so anytime you see an 18 wheeler on the highway and you look at the, the thing it's, it's hauling, if you look at the end cap between the cab and the trailer, if there's a, um, uh, a unit on there, 60% chance it's one of ours. Um, we have some of the most efficient units available on the marketplace in terms of their efficiency compared to our competitors and uh, uh, the amount of diesel fuel they consume. We don't have an electrified option for that yet, but we're on target to have one uh, released and available globally uh, buyer before 2025. Um, so at that point, we'll have a full suite of electrified options for all class level trucks. Uh, we also just announced a uh, partnership with a Detroit based manufacturer called EL ELMS or Electric Last Mile Solutions. So we are providing electrified units to make sure that they have, because uh, they're producing fully electrified um, uh, van and small uh, small amounts cargo transport for last mile delivery. Um, we've announced a partnership with them. So we're providing the cooling units to make sure that, excuse me, the electrified cooling units so they can have completely electrified um, vehicles available for actual launch, I think uh, early of next year, 2022. And then um, the other part of the question um, that I'm glad you brought up is the telematics and logistics side of things. So historically we've sold the equipment and once the equipment goes to the customers, it's you know theirs to use however they see fit. Um, but over the last about seven or eight years now, we've started to uh, uh, pair all of our pieces of equipment with um, uh, connectivity capabilities. And we do have logistics and telematics services we're providing customers um, to first of all, make sure that the routes that they're taking are the uh, lowest distance routes so that they are conserving as much transportation fuel as possible and avoiding emissions there. Uh, secondly, we're also making sure that um, uh, the, the telematics is connected to the you know temperature inside of the inside of the, the transportation unit, so it can route um, food and, as an example. So for like Walmart or Kroger, some of our clients, um, it can route food to the most appropriate location to make sure that there is uh, little to no food loss in that cold chain, um, and also make sure that it's responding to real time store demand needs. So if one store 
you know, that a, a unit is on pace to is doing fine with its banana storage, has enough inventory, but another local store is running low on that store, that, that inventory, we can send a signal to update that company to reroute that truck to make sure it's delivered to where um, the food will not only, you know, not be lost in transport, but also go to a place where it's more likely to end up being sold to the end consumer uh, and not wasted, uh, you know, sitting in inventory waiting for purchase um, in a place that already has plenty of inventory for that particular produce, as an example. So those are our ways that we're, we're trying to limit and, and reduce uh, both direct emissions from our units, right, converting to electri electrification, and also the, I guess you could say the indirect emissions of our units related to uh, food loss in the global food chain. Excellent. Keith, did you have anything you want to add on that on the manufacturer side? Um, I can, yeah. The um, uh, What we've discovered with transportation, while it's obviously an important factor in our emissions footprint, uh, it's surprisingly small. Um, it only accounts for around two to four percent max of what we would see in a uh, on a per product emission factor. Uh, again, two percent is certain certainly still something to be focused on at some point. But as you can imagine, there's probably lower hanging fruit to to try to work on first. Um, you know that said, um, as Ben kind of mentioned, you know we we do uh, diligently track all of our logistics um, by nature, uh, the, the steel products are, are heavy and, and bulky and difficult to, uh, difficult to ship. So uh, again, we, we find usually the shortest path in order to make that happen. Uh, in fact, our two newest steel mills, one in Missouri and the other one in Florida, uh, they're, uh, they were cited specifically because of a very uh, robust market, not only for the products that they're producing, but also uh, a robust scrap collection uh, market in terms of uh, old vehicles, refrigerators, and other things coming back uh, to the mill in order to be able to reduce that transportation uh, distance and, and associated burden with it. So um, definitely things on the radar screen, um, and, and I think that kind of falls into the, the category of working smarter rather than working harder. So how do you uh, make how do you make better decisions on what we're uh, trying to move from you know, products from one part of the country to the other? So, um, so as we continue forward, I think uh, we'll we'll see that the uh, the new plate mill that we're building now is centrally located in the country again for the same reason. Uh, it's a product that uh, will touch every market across the entire country. So, uh, centrally locating it makes sense. Um, and again, there's uh, a variety of other uh, siting type decisions that are are made for that same very reason. So. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about that. Great. And, and Beth, I don't know if you have any closing questions. We had two more questions that did come through. Uh, uh, Terry's was, to Keith was answered in the chat. And then I believe uh, Aaron's about data was was uh, covered in your very first question. So you uh, you were uh, on point with that one. Uh, did you have any final, final questions or if anybody else has anything before we wrap up? Yeah, I was gonna say, I know we're at time. Um, we were gonna do a rapid fire. What are you most excited about and what's keeping you up at night when it comes to environment? So I don't know if we wanna do that really yeah. quickly. Okay, maybe Keith, do you wanna kick us off and we'll go down the line? Sure, um, I, I guess what I'm most excited about is, is uh, a more direct focus on some of the ESG uh, concerns, not only in our company, but across the market and, and across certainly other products and other market segments. 
Um, one of the things that I've focused on for the last 10, 12 years, actually, in this company was uh, those types of items directly. And it's been difficult to, to really start to see the traction and that traction now is finally starting to come around. And, and I think it touches everybody. So uh, really kind of fun. Very good. How about um, Ben? Sure. I think uh, I'm most excited about um, obviously what, what the IoT allows in terms of demand management um, and kind of real-time responsive demand and consumption uh, management, uh, primarily because the demand side needs to really uh, be much more efficient in order for the supply side to more uh, quickly transition to renewable or emissions-free sources. Um, the thing, one thing that keeps me up at night is that um, uh, too many companies and, and maybe large uh, building asset owners uh, focus on the big shiny things of like installing on-site renewable. Don't get me wrong, those things are great, but there is a, a lot of opportunity to gain quite a bit of efficiency uh, at lower cost by investing in building retrofitting, envelope improvement, windows, roofing, you know, the, 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 the basics here, the foundational things that will help dramatically reduce the cooling and heating load before you even think about the, uh, the, the fancier, shinier technology-driven things. So a uh, little bit of both, what keeps me up at night, what keeps me excited. Yeah, very good, thanks, Ben. How about Colin? Sure, I think, I think the thing that gets me excited, it's also IoT, of a different application um, in, in multifamily, because we have that divide between us and um, the residents, we wanna make them have smart homes in their units, but also get that connected with, you know, a central network of distributed thermostats, uh, leak detection, all of these smart devices that can be efficient and also create a more fun experience for the residents. The thing that keeps me up at night is, is very similar, actually. It's that divide. And if on this pursuit of data, the continual uh, landlord-tenant division of, of priorities. And, and if utility companies continue to drag their feet in some markets and divulging that data that they say is private and belongs to the residents, when you know, we already have access to so much about them, but the utility company is the last holdout and they refuse to tell us how many KWH you know, our building consumed in total. So um, my, my fear is that you know, how long will it take us to finally get everyone on board with full data transparency? Very helpful, thank you. And um, Lisa? I'm obviously very excited about a lot of things and a lot of what y'all have talked about, but I'll keep my answers super short. short really excited about low carbon concrete. And uh, what keeps me up at night is actually coming up with a meaningful uh, carbon neutral target for the company. Very good, thank you. And Justin? Yeah, uh, what I'm excited about the most is being a part of an organization that has pivoted how it operates to where we can now make this a focus. Uh, we can train our folks to understand what a, uh, how to read their utility bills, right? How to know the different ancillary costs as I get another phone call, sorry. Um, and, and how to pursue these, initi these initiatives that we're driving corporately and do them locally. So that, that's what makes me excited. I, I like educating people on the things that have been taught to me. So that's huge. Uh, what keeps me up at night, uh, similar to I think maybe what Colin was saying is not being completely in control of our own destiny when it comes to the sustainability efforts, right? A lot of our uh, space is GLA. It's uh, stuff that we don't control. And when there's, uh, to Ben's world, if I've got a tenant, they each have one unit. That one unit's not a focus to them. But to me, I have 250 units on top of that roof, right? So to making sure that 
uh, our efforts are consolidated and we have similar goals. Um, I think coming out of COVID and the emergence of corporate ESG has only helped the landlord because that allows us to get tenants on board uh, with our initiatives so they can speak to them also. Uh, so that, that's been very productive for us. So hope that answers your question. Mm-hmm. That was excellent. Thank you. So just a couple of final thoughts. I would say I'm really excited about the momentum and certainly am more encouraged even learning from all of you and the work that you're doing. And the thing that keeps me up at night is making sure we as a financial institution get it right. <laughs> um, we have a pretty complex role to play in all of this. And so um, that's what keeps me up. I also would say, Ryan, I think we've got two good topics for follow-up from here, Internet of Things <laughs> and advocacy. Um, so um, I'll leave you with that. And Ryan, do you have any final topics or comments? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, uh, Justin, Colin, Keith, Lisa, Ben, and Beth uh, for everything. This has been a fantastic uh, discussion. I'm seeing a lot of great comments in, in uh, the chat. I also want to thank uh, uh, Nora Hart, who is our program lead uh, on the volunteer side for this. Thank you for all your support, as, as well as Summer Minshew, who is our uh, 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 chair of our Market Leadership Advisory Board and, and all of the volunteers who have been part of this. Um, and of course, I have to thank all of our annual partners. So many of you are on today's panel and have been here in the past. We really appreciate it. Uh, just a few quick notes. Uh, uh, coming up uh, uh, in about a month from now, September 8th, we have our Women in Green Steadfast and Strong event. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for more on that. Uh, you can register already for it. We're excited about that. Uh, today's event, uh, as well as the uh, uh, corollary uh, project showcase on corporate and commercial uh, projects that we did last month, uh, as well as other events are all being turned into online uh, courses. So uh, we're, we're looking, and, and I've had several side conversations during this about how we can turn this content into something more. Uh, there's so many great stories uh, and, and uh, not just tactical information, but inspirational uh, uh, content that, that was shared here. So uh, looking at how we can get that out there further uh, in addition to these uh, online events. But if uh, you missed anything that happened in the past or you wanna revisit this one or you wanna share it with others, uh, by all means, uh, contact, uh, contact us, contact Diane. We now have Diane uh, Coleman. So uh, she is our new staff lead and uh, if we can get you access to those, they're also available. Uh, just search for USGBC North Carolina or South Carolina, you can access there. So thank you all uh, for your time. And we hope to see you at uh, events coming up. We're gonna keep the doors open just for a few moments. Uh, if anybody wants to talk, uh, connect with other folks, but the program is officially over and we can stop recording. And thank you all very much.